we got some good stuff this morning because we're continuing through the Christmas season, you know, that we're just entering into, passing through. And we're reminded, and maybe this is the, what God is kind of trying to stir in my heart through these carols like, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're reminded that God's plans and His ways are very seldom in alignment with our expectations, right? Very rarely does he work in the way we expect him to. And Christmas is probably the greatest example of that as we read through God's plan of salvation unfolding. Um, you know, there, there's, there's no better example of this than, than with the Christmas story. Um, because even though the arrival of Jesus, it was prophesied in great detail, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Prophesied in detail. I mean, depending on what, you know, I, I was looking into this so I could get a number, and it depends on which person you go to. There's scholars far more educated and, you know, intelligent than I am, and they, they don't even agree on it. It's, it's, it's in the hundreds, though. Hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. And there were scholars and teachers of these prophecies who were eagerly and earnestly seeking after this Messiah who was coming. They didn't want to miss out on the timing. They didn't want to miss out on who he is. And even though they studied and they knew those Old Testament prophecies about him, when he came and when they literally looked at him face to face, they didn't see him for who he was. Even they missed out on it. And we could probably spend quite a bit of time kind of going around the room here and sharing different testimonies of times when God did not act and move in the way that we were expecting him to. We could probably share some painful times in life when it felt like, and again, this is why we walk in faith and not feelings, but when we felt like God was so far away. God, you promised this, but this is my reality. This is what I'm experiencing right now. You know, those, those feelings, those seasons of dryness, when it feels like God is so far away, when it feels like you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and your prayers are falling on deaf ears, that God isn't hearing you. You feel this way, right? But then we can also probably spend quite a bit of time going around the room and sharing testimonies of how we went through that season, but then God came through at just the right way, at just the right time. And when he fulfilled his promise, it was so much better than if he had done it when I wanted him to, how I wanted him to. Because, you know, for this reason and that reason, and a lot of the time it's about growth and maturity, and I wouldn't have gotten to know him the way that I know him now. And I wouldn't have had that, that mountaintop experience, you know, that I have now. You know, we, we could probably share a lot of those testimonies um, of times when we're going through that season and we, we start hearing, you know, these voices of the enemy wondering, am I just getting punished from God? Did I do something to deserve this? And then you start feeling like, you know, woe is me, you know, I deserve this. And you start taking it on yourself and, you know, all these nasty things happen. We start, we start believing the lies of the enemy that somehow we just strayed outside of God's will and, you know, there's just no hope for us and, you know, all these other whole slews of, of doubt-seeding questions that the enemy does in those seasons. But the important thing in those seasons is, is not that we listen to the voice of the enemy who sows those seeds of doubt, but that we go back to like, you know, Marie was challenging us to this morning to really instead start seeking after God, seeking after his word. 
you know, seeking out the promises that he has given you for your situation, for your circumstances. And then, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be good soil so that your seed grows in my life, so that this promise comes to pass, so that this fruit comes to pass in my life? Not every story ends the way that we were expecting it to, but it always ends good, right? That's why we're called exactly to walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith in the word of the Lord. We walk by faith in what God says, who God is, and not by how we feel, not by, by what we see happening around us. In fact, that's the fertile ground for miracles to take place, right? The fertilest ground for, for miracles to take place is when things aren't in alignment with the word of God, and only God can make that happen, it should rise up, and just an eager expectation should rise up hope within us as we, we do this, as we're called to trust in the Lord, right? Trust in, oh, I'm sorry. Trust in the Lord and not with all of our heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, most of us have this memorized. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to lean not into our own understanding. In all of our ways to submit to him, and then he will make our path straight. See, so often we, we do the exact opposite. We, we lean on our own understanding, and we try to make our path straight, right? And it doesn't usually work out very well when we try to figure things out on our own and, and, and make a way, you know, back to the Lord. Instead, the Lord calls us just to trust with our everything, and not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, just to submit to him. And then when we do that, when we trust in him, and when we submit to him, he's the one that makes a way where there is no other way. He is the one with his mighty right hand to save that makes a way for you to get back on track right where you need to be, where all of his promises are yes and amen in your life. So we start this morning with a couple who spent decades in that dry, in-between place. There are so many examples within the Word of God of people who experience those seasons of life. So if you've ever gone through them, you're not alone. But if you're in that season of dryness, and it seems like God is just not answering, have hope. Let hope rise again. Because it's going to end well if we just hang in there. So we start at the very beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And you've probably heard this story many, 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 many times. So we just pray that the Lord just give us fresh ears to hear, fresh eyes to see what he is doing, that we can apply it to our lives. That this isn't just some old Christmas story that we've heard so many times. That this just bursts something in our spirits, something new, something that stirs up in a new way. And we start off with this kind of cool reminder from Luke chapter 1, verses, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And Luke writes, many have, under, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So many prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus, in the birth and the life of him. He says in verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first eyewitnesses, from those who were servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. 
so glad Luke decided to write to Theophilus because now we have Luke in the book of Acts, right? So that you may know with certainty the things which you have been taught. So before we even go into the story, we kind of start with this reality. Luke, we know from the other um, the scriptures uh, that, that uh, Paul wrote that he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. So, you know, Jesus coming in the flesh, he came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So Jesus hadn't even really, you know, essentially come for him in that season. He was also a physician. He was a doctor. So he's a very educated, learned man, right? He was a man of science, actually. And he traveled and he ministered with the apostles, as we find documented in Paul's epistles. He actually traveled with Paul on some of those uh, missionary journeys. But the cool thing about him, you know, not only is he a Gentile and then he gets saved and he's traveling around and he's ministering, um, but he's also a little bit of a historian because he, he decided it would be good to interview and to investigate and to document all of the accounts of the firsthand experiences, firsthand eyewitnesses of the people who uh, were there for the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because during that season, just as in today's world, there were all kinds of truths and lies spreading around about Jesus. There were all kinds of gossipy rumors, things that, you know, and some of the things were just too good to be true. And so he, you know, Luke was very determined to keep a, an accurate, well-documented account so that Theophilus, and thankfully for us today as well, so that we can put our trust in the Word of God because it's been confirmed to be accurate. Everything that we've taught, everything that has been taught that we have learned, um, and that written account still serves with that same purpose for us. He wrote this in like 60 AD, so almost 2,000 years later, we still have this written, documented, historical account of all these things that took place to help teach us the way that God works, the way that God unfolded his prophetic word and it came to pass. And we continue in verse 5, and it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, in these couple of verses, we can quickly, easily read these and just kind of move on and not really get the full context of what's happening here. Because these few verses can't even begin to describe the torture that this must have been for Zechariah and Elizabeth. To be barren was considered to be cursed, to be punished by God. If you read through the Old Testament, to be barren was a curse and a punishment of God for your sins. That's what it was described as. Yet, both of them were righteous. They observed everything blamelessly. And so, although in God's sight, they were blameless and righteous, we know that in people's sight, well, they wouldn't have been so blameless and righteous, would have they been? In fact, this is amplified by the fact that they were both, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both descendants in the, in, uh, the, the Levitical priesthood. 
You know, Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron directly. I mean, just anointed people, consecrated for service to the Lord, this priestly bloodline, that would have made their barrenness just that much worse, that much more amplified, that much more public. We'll say it that way, public before all of the people. As Elizabeth soon describes their condition in the people's sight, they were disgraced. Blameless in God's sight, but disgraced in people's sight. Anybody ever go through that season? You've done nothing wrong, but you can do nothing to convince people of it. You're the bad guy. You're the black sheep. You know, you're the, you're the troublemaker. I know Gabby's back there like, uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know how that is. <laughs> but this torture that they had to go through, you know, tradition believes that they were in their late 80s at this point. They were beyond childbearing years. So not only did their chances of ever conceiving dry up, but I'm, bet, I'm betting that their hope dried up too. Their chance, their opportunity for their disgrace to be removed was gone by all human standards. They were going to live out their entire lives having faithfully served God, having done nothing wrong, having been blameless and righteous in His sight. And yet before people's sight, well, you know, the rumors go, you know, there's so-and-so and that's why, you know, she was never able to uh, have children. And think about this. They're serving in the temple. How, how quick do you think people would have been to take their burdens to Zechariah so that he could intercede on their behalf? How quick do you think people would be to bring their, um, you know, their sacrifices and their offerings to Zechariah to, to, uh, you know, to sacrifice them to the Lord on their behalf for the forgiveness of their sins? You know, they're probably thinking, well, Zechariah, I mean, he's got some skeletons in his own closet. I'm going to just, I'm going to, you know, it, it's sort of like when you, when you have an altar time and there's that one person that no one's really going to, you know, it's probably what it was like for them. I mean, I'm speculating. This is likely what it was like for them in the temple service. It would have been challenging. It would have been difficult and painful to live in that paradox, blameless before God, but disgraced before people. Blameless before God, but disgraced before people. That says in verse 8 that once in Zechariah's, divi- when his, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And you can read all about this back in Leviticus, you know, what, what those responsibilities were and what he would have been doing and everything he had to do to consecrate himself for that responsibility, to prepare himself for service to the Lord. And... Um, And it says that when the time came for the burning of incense, the assembled worshipers were all praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Can you imagine the relief? After decades and decades and decades of their hearts crying out, crying out for her shame and disgrace to be removed, for her to be able to conceive and to give birth, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You want to talk about an honor, a firstborn son, not just a child, but a son. It was just a great honor in their culture, you know, that they had someone to pass everything along to and on and on and on and on. And it says, and you are to call him John. It's a good name. It's my dad's name. It's my middle name. It's a good name, right? 
whatever, Isaac, you, you laugh, you know. <laughs> and he goes on. He says, you're going to call him John, and he will be a joy. He will be a delight to you. Oh, my goodness, as a parent, your child isn't going to be a burden to you. He's going to be a joy. He's going to be a delight because it's not going to be easy raising a kid in your 80s. <laughs> but this is going to be an easy kid, you know. He's the Bethany of the family. You know, the easy one. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I, I, I usually just think that when I'm reading this, I think. <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> but he goes on and he says that not only is he going to be a delight to them, but he says many, the angel said many are going to rejoice because of his birth. Because John is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never, never to take in wine or any fermented drink. So no alcohol for, for John here. None. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Whew. <laughs> even before he's born, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the power and in the spirit of Elijah to turn many hearts of parents back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. By the way, this is a very prophetic word. Several prophecies about Elijah returning to prepare the way. In fact, many people thought that Jesus was Elijah fulfilling this promise. It was actually his cousin John. Cousin John. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can this be? I'm an old man. My wife, well, she's you don't ever mention your wife's age. She's well along in years. He was very, very politically correct in this. <laughs> the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Whew. This isn't just any angel. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. Like, dude, what's wrong with you? This is good news. Why are you questioning me? Like, you do realize I'm an angel, right? The whole fear thing and like, you know, but he's doubting. <laughs> did you ever look back in your life and be like, why did I doubt you, Lord? You said it. You promised it. Why did I for even a second of my life waste time doubting you and worrying about that? Then verse 20 says, and now you'll be silent. You'll be a mute and you won't be able to speak until this day happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true. Here's the key, at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering what he was doing in there for so long, right? They were wondering what in the world was going on. I mean, it doesn't take that long to light some incense in the temple. I mean, you know, what was happening? And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple because he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Can you imagine? Those are the people that you want to be like, nee, 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 you know, I mean, they, they've been, you've been disgraced in front of them forever. And now the angel came to you. You have this promise like it's going to happen and you can't communicate it. And you're like, like, like Mary, like, you know, you're trying to mime it and they're just not getting like, must have seen a vision or something. I don't know. You know, something, something happened there. Just finally, after decades, that disgrace being removed. And this is in verse 23, when his time of service was completed. And I bet that was a, a fun day at work. I bet he was whistling 
he wasn't whistling this. He was whistling the praises of God the whole rest of his time as priest in the temple, right? Then he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, for five months, they remained in seclusion. Elizabeth said, the Lord has done this for me. Have you ever experienced that in life? Like, God did this and for me. Like, who am I? But God, oh, you're so good. You did this. Blown away. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor. Get it? They knew they were in the favor of God, but now he has shown it. Shown the favor. And he has taken away my disgrace among the people. So exciting. So exciting that this had happened. And yet they remained in seclusion. I just ponder that. Wonder why. I mean, talk about humility. You know, you think she'd be out there with her baby bumping like, hey, y'all, you know, yeah, yeah, the one. And, you know, I just, whatever. I don't know. That might be me. Maybe I struggle with pride a little bit or something. But you, you think you'd want all the people to know and to see, you know. Of course, up there in age, it's probably a risky pregnancy. Who knows what was happening? I don't know why. I can speculate day and night, but... They remained in seclusion until it came to pass. But it reminds me of this scripture, Romans 10, 11. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. And in, I'm trying to like connect these scriptures. I'm like, but they were put to shame. Perhaps a better way of understanding this, this, because this is a quote from many scriptures in the Old Testament that we find in the New Testament. Perhaps a better way for us to understand this is that those who trust in the Lord, their circumstances will never end in shame, right? You may go, go through dry seasons and you may be ashamed in front of people, but before the Lord, if you're trusting in Him, you will never be put to shame. Never, ever. Whatever you may going through, no matter how long you may have been waiting, no matter how impossible the circumstances may be from human standards, let's hope again. Let's let hope arise in this season, in this Christmas season. Put your trust in the Lord and let that eager anticipation just bubble up once again because there's nothing too hard for our God. His word will never, ever fail. His promises will never, ever go unfulfilled. That says we're soon going to find God was just saving something way, way, way better for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It wasn't that he didn't hear their cries. It wasn't that he didn't hear their prayers. As Gabriel stated, it's just there's an appointed time. It, it, that old cliche saying goes, good things come to those who wait. He just had a really good thing saved up for them to bless them with. I mean... They, servants of the Lord, were going to be instrumental in fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. Can you imagine that? Prophecy being fulfilled in your womb right there. Prophecy in your day and time coming to pass. Elijah, to prepare the way of the Lord, was right here. Like, it just, it would have been so exciting. You guys are looking way too bored for this. It would have been exciting. Anyways... <laughs> I've never been pregnant, obviously. And uh, I, I, I remember how exciting it was to feel, you know, Nathaniel kicking around and moving and responding to your voice. And I can't imagine having a spirit-filled, 
Spirit of Elijah, powerful, mighty man of God, like getting knit together in your womb. Like it just would have been so cool that we're going to see some fun, exciting things happen that only Elizabeth has ever experienced. Like just so many unique things that she got to experience no other person ever had or will. So something else awesome was happening. Their child wasn't just any child that was being born. In verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Very, very busy season for Gabe. He had a lot of, a lot of good news to spread, right? God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. You guys all know how this works, right? Virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. You see these bloodlines, these prophecies coming to pass. So cool. So, so cool. No word of God will ever fail. Hmm. Hundreds of years went by since those prophecies were made, but it wasn't going to fail. It was going to come at just the right appointed time. It says the virgin's Mary was, name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. Like, you know, <laughs> can you imagine if someone just walks up to you and says that? It just, it would kind of take you back a little bit, especially her. She was young. She was, you know, likely in her teen years and just a bizarre way to greet somebody. And he says, don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. Again, in the eyes of God, not what mankind thinks, but in the eyes of God, you are favored. You have found blessing. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Whew. Those are huge, huge, huge promises coming from Gabriel. And then... This must run in the family. Mary, kind of like John, was like, um, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin, <laughs> you know? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one that is to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. In fact, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is now in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. Amen? No word of God will ever fail. Yeah. And Mary said, I'm your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I love it. From human standards, it came way too early for Mary. You can only imagine what the people were thinking. You know how you can get an idea of what the people were thinking? Joseph is like, okay, Mary, uh-huh, yep, yep, you're still a virgin, and it was the Holy Spirit, yeah. God is the one that impregnated you. Um, we're done here. <laughs> this is over. And then an angel had to come to him, and he's like, no, 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 she's, she's telling the truth. You, you need to, to take her to be your wife, and whew, Righteous in God's sight, but shamed and disgraced in people's sight. And you know what kills me about this reality? Look at the people who were disgracing these individuals. It was the people in the church of their day, right? It's just a shame. 
We haven't really learned from these lessons yet, have we? Maybe we need to learn from this in this Christmas season, right? We're going to talk about that. Because it was way too early for Mary, way too late for Elizabeth, but in God's view, it was his perfect plan being uh, unfolded. It was his will coming to pass. In fact, God was birthing the greatest revival that the world had ever experienced. John the Baptist coming to prepare the way. God coming in the flesh. The Messiah being born. The greatest revival that the world has ever experienced. And yet, God's people condemned it. God's people condemned it. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. And Jesus was fulfilled prophecy of God in the flesh. The Messiah, the Savior, the eternal King coming to save His people. That's why this word still rings true, right? The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And of course, we know the scripture is about David when he was anointed as king. Well, he wasn't even brought into the house to be considered. <laughs> Yet God had other plans. So something to keep in mind, something to learn about, right? Right? And we continue verse 39. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried off to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, I love this, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby heard Mary's voice, leaped in her womb, and then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Woo! So if you want to know God's feelings about abortion, I mean, come on. I mean, you can't get more clear than these things here. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you're going to bear. Woo, word of knowledge. No way she knew Mary was pregnant. Had no idea. Word of knowledge there. She, but she's like, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord... Again, Jesus is Lord, right? Even that little baby that was just conceived, that's her Lord. Why should the mother of my Lord come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And guess what? Blessed are you still today for just believing that God's word, that his promises will be fulfilled in your life. You're blessed just for believing. That's whole, your whole part. Your whole part in this is just to believe. Believe that the Lord will do what he has said. And that he will guide and direct you in helping it to be fulfilled. Because God's word will never fail. His promises will never go unfulfilled. God's word, it's not just a story passed down. God's word is not just letters that are written on parchment and passed along from generation to generation and from tribe to, to nation to language to language. God's word is alive and active. God's word is Jesus, right? Jesus will never fail. Jesus will never promise and not fulfill. That's why his word is what it is. Because in the beginning was the word, John chapter 1. And the word was with God and the word was was God. They're one and the same. The living, active Word of God. That's why God's Word will never fail, because Jesus will never fail. That's why the Word of God is alive and active, because Jesus is alive and active. That's why He is interceding on your behalf. It says in verse 3, through Him, everything was made. 
In fact, without him, nothing that has ever been made will ever been made. I love thinking about that. Even the, the new things that we come up with, all we're taking is what God already made and just shaping it into something different, right? We can't make anything new. Just awesome reality. Jesus made everything. In him was life. And that life is the light of all mankind. That's why we do Christmas lights this time of year, right? To represent the light of Christ. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus will never fail. He will always fulfill His promises. So this Christmas season, let's turn our hearts back again fully to the Lord. Not trying to figure things out on our own, leaning on our own understanding, but fully trusting in Him, fully handing things over to Him and being like, you know what, Jesus, you are Lord. Just have my life. Take, take this mess, take this discouragement, take this depression, take this oppression, take it all. You know, He knows where you're at and He will joyfully take all of you, even your doubts, even your fears. He will take them from you and He will give you hope and faith he will rise up within you, His Spirit, His presence, so that not only was He the light of the world, but now His light can shine through you, through the Holy Spirit. Because after all, the Christmas Spirit is nothing more or less than the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about. So let's share the good news with others that God isn't finished yet, right? God is not finished yet. There is still hope. So let hope arise, let faith arise as we trust in God, placing it all in His hands and, and just expecting Him to work a miracle on our behalf. This Christmas season, let's let, allow revival to stir here on the earth once again because Christ is come. He is alive. We're not looking ahead to a Messiah. We are experiencing the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. We're living in the days of fulfillment. It's so exciting to be a part of, and yet we're still living in an Advent season because we know He's coming again. So let's get people ready to receive the Lord because He's ready to receive them. Amen? Amen. All right, so Jesus, we thank you so much that you are alive, that you will never fail. So Lord, forgive us for those seasons of doubt. Forgive us for wavering between your kingdom and the world and trying to figure things out and wondering what you're going to do. Lord, this morning, we want to be a people whose hearts are fully committed to you. So Lord, we just hand our lives over to you this morning. We pray you would have your way. Make something awesome in my life. Do something awesome through my life. Work a miracle, Lord. Not for my good and benefit, but so that, Lord, people can see my life and see you. So that I can be a living example of your goodness and your faithfulness. So that people can see my life and what you did and know without a shadow of a doubt that you are God alone. And that you would do the same for them. Let your salvation fully manifest here on the earth, even as it is in heaven throughout this Christmas season and way beyond. In your name, Jesus. Amen.